Welcome everyone to the We Belong Here podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us for our latest episode. Um, this podcast is powered by Civic Commons. As always, thank you to the big phony who uh, has graciously given us access to his music uh, for the intro and outro. Today is a really special podcast. Uh, the theme is uh, around veterans and service. And so we have um, three members of uh, uh, the community who have uh, served in our military and is, are now um, doing service in different ways. And so without you know further ado, I'm going to have them give a quick introduction to you all. And so let's start with uh, Lynn. Uh, tell us about yourself. Oh, hi. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks, Frank, for um, uh, inviting me to the podcast. I uh, greatly appreciate it. So my name is uh, Lin Tai. Uh, Lin is my first name, Tai, so my last name, and it's not Thai. It's T-H-A-I, just like Thai food. Um, but uh, a little bit about myself. I'm a first-generation immigrant who uh, immigrated to the United States back in the early 80s. You know, uh, interesting journey all along the way to had a, you know, a dual identity and, and so on and so forth. Um, but um, right now I live and work out of Seattle um, here at home with a beautiful wife and daughter. Um, what I do, uh, I am with, uh, I'm a, a city impact manager uh, staff for the Mission Continues, which is uh, a national veterans organization that uh, outward-facing, engaging veterans in community service projects in community development all throughout the countries. And I have uh, in my portfolios like about three, supporting three, uh, four states uh, in four states of veteran leaders uh, that are doing really just kick-ass uh, projects throughout um, throughout the, our communities. Um, I speak read, write Vietnamese fluently, and a little bit of French residuals uh, from Indochina. Um, my hobby, I love to run, uh, reading, and uh, do martial arts stuff. Cool. Very cool. Wow. Uh, let's go with uh, Jesus. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Thank you for having me, Frank. Uh, my name is Jesus Carbajal. I uh, work at Seattle Foundation as their operations and development manager. Uh, I spent uh, about six years in the Army uh, fixing Blackhawks, uh, crewing on a medevac aircraft, and then uh, going to the 160th here uh, out of Fort Campbell, not out of Lewis, which is just down the road. Uh, I live with my wonderful fiancé, my son, Alexander, our dog, Argos, and uh, Fun fact, yesterday was supposed to be our wedding date had Corona not happened. So it's sort of a bittersweet and mm. a really interesting time period to be with. But, um, you know, in my career, I was a, I took a lot of project management experience and then I put that into construction management. And then I decided that I wanted to do more in our community and have a greater impact and raise the quality of life for all of those around me. And uh, so that's sort of what has continued where I am and that's what drives who I want to continue to be. Thank you for sharing. That's uh, tough with uh, having the wedding supposed to be this weekend. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, of course, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Happy Sunday, all. I appreciate you having me, Frank, and good to be with my uh, compadres here. Uh, Chris Franco, uh, fortunate to work within the King County government right now after doing eight years in the Army uh, as an infantry officer and currently focused on our county's equity and social justice efforts, in addition to our COVID response efforts. So uh, kind of wearing a couple of hats there, but uh, really part of some amazing teams. Uh, I'm very proud to, to go from 
uh, our, our military uh, to King County uh, here in Martin Luther King County, where we, we now call home with my uh, my wife and four kiddos and uh, coming back to the very city that my, my wife grew up in. So very happy to be here uh, this afternoon and among you gentlemen and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, to have all three of you uh, come onto the podcast um, with your experience in the military, and you're all obviously still doing um, service, right, in different ways, philanthropy, in government, uh, in veterans, communities, affairs, uh, nonprofit work. And so a check-in question for you all to answer, and starting with Chris, is, you know, what is it about your that brought you into the military and the idea of, like, service, giving to your country that, you know, helped you or maybe didn't help you, but maybe like, you know, what, how does that connect with the work you're doing now in terms of like continuing to give in a different way? And so Chris, why don't you start with that? Yeah. I appreciate the question, Frank. Uh, I mean, I, I think I was fortunate to grow up in a, a family of veterans, uh, that were very service oriented by my grandfather, mi abuelo. Uh, he immigrated from Mexico, joined the army and uh, earned his citizenship and established the Franco family in the Bay Area down in California. And then uh, my dad uh, followed the same path, um, joined the Army, and, and really instilled my brother and I a, a sense of service. And I uh, felt very called to, to join the military and to, to give back to the country that provided my family uh, the opportunities it's had and, and to, uh, to do my part to improve the country we call home. Um, I, I think that was really uh, set in stone after 9-11. I mean, I was in high school at the time. And um, I, I think when that that kicked off, I, I was even more committed to, to join uh, the service. And after getting in and spending eight years there, I, I think my perception of service um, and the sometimes hard realities of military service uh, really influenced me particularly during my my combat deployment to to afghanistan um and in fact in a, in a weird way uh some of the hard truths and things that i kind of unpacked during my deployment led me to want to get out of the military before retiring uh to to hopefully get our country into a healthier place um and and push me into getting into public service and specifically got drawn into king county um where the county is very committed to and focused on our equity and social justice efforts and dismantling systemic racism and, um, and really doing some, some big, bold things and in service to our region. Uh, and in many ways, our nation as a, as a trendsetter, uh, for doing some important work. And I, I found that particularly with, um, military service, I find myself drawn to people who care about other people, uh, that are willing to use the life that they've been gifted. Um, we, none of us, have any control of how we were brought into this world, where we were brought in, uh, the gifts and, and things that uh, we've, we naturally have. And uh, I, I've definitely found my people to be those that uh, use their lives to progress, advance, improve, challenge, inspire uh, humanity. And um, I, I think the veterans community has been a consistent place for that. Uh, but I'm also finding that now in places like uh, King County and, and Indivisible and I've, uh, the Truman National Security Project and uh, even you know, King County Democrats and a number of other organizations and able to, to jump into. They're just, we are blessed in our region to be home to a, a place that really fosters a lot of advocacy um, and, and service 
oriented folks and organizations. And I mean, the military, I think, sharpened that sense of service, but really clarified and defined what I think service is really centered in. And that's in improving humanity and being committed to something bigger than yourself. Because if you're serving yourself, you're, you're going to be creating problems for the rest of us to <laughs> unpack and deal with. Hey, Sue, why don't you uh, take an attempt at that question? Yeah. So, uh, so I come from a, from a sort of different perspective. Um, uh, I, my mother came from Mexico and we were, um, not well off, but not necessarily doing financially well. And I use I, I growing up believed that joining the military sort of became a, a no brainer as to how I could, you know, find a job, get a career, get college money. I didn't think I had anything to go off of uh, leaving high school. Um, I didn't think that I really, you know, going to college meant a lot of debt and a gamble at a career that I may or may not even want. Uh, joining the workforce meant under underemployment, low wages in a place that I could never really make it forward. And I, I guess I decided to join in 2003 and we had just kicked off Iraq um, earlier that year. Uh, I was 16 at the time and decided, you know, we are already in Afghanistan. We're already in Iraq. What I can do for my family, which is most important to me, is to not be a burden on them and to try to save as much money and be successful so that I can take care of my family in six years. And that's maybe not that long. And so I joined something like less than two weeks after I turned 17 raised the right hand and said, you know, this is, this isn't for my country. This isn't necessarily for those around me. This is for my family and for me. And I'm going to hit the reset button. And so at that point in time, who I cared about in service, what that meant was just, just family, just family. And, um, that sort of changed as uh, my first duty station was a medevac company. So for folks who don't know, that's, that's an air, it's an ambulance company. And our company focused on helicopter ambulance because I was a helicopter repairer, a very young helicopter repairer. We deployed to Afghanistan before I turned 20. I served most of my 19th year of life in Afghanistan. And I ended up uh, serving as a crew chief, serving on board, uh, being the primary mechanic on a on an aircraft crew, and also being uh, you know our flight medic's right hand every time we did a medical evacuation and a, a medical service, and that really, like like Chris was saying, there are some hard truths about the world around us, and unpacking that and and really seeing the effects of of what the world is at really changed my viewpoint from saying, okay, I just want to do good in my life and I want to help as many people as possible. Um, you know, a a third of the people that we rescued were American, um, military members and about a third were, uh, uh, national military or local military. And a third were civilians who either were the wrong place at the wrong time or came to us for help. And so we took it upon ourselves to help them. A lot of folks just living life. Um, uh, and so that's what kind of propelled me to wanting to do more. And that really planted a deep seed that really didn't sprout until after I left the military, I sort of had this, 
uh, conflict with self, didn't know exactly what my service meant to me, didn't know where I wanted to go and where that was going to take me. All I knew is that a lot of the values of what the perception of veterans were didn't align with who I wasn't as an individual. And so I sort of pushed that away. And it wasn't for a number of years, five or so years that I realized I wasn't getting what I, what I needed from my own community, the community that I had rebuilt coming home, unless I was interacting with other veterans that had some of that shared experience and shared that ideology, a lot of similar ideologies to Chris and Lynn, uh, and a lot of folks here that whose work is around, uh, systemic racism and breaking down structures and, and, uh, creating equitable opportunities for all. And that's when I started really coming back to this, like, oh, this is so in, this is what, this is that seed that was planted oh so long ago now being manifested and I can feel it and I'm drawn to it. And that is what then made me completely pivot career paths and make me completely rethink about the adult that I wanted to be when, you know, someday when I grow up, even though, you know, that I think that time is a lot past. And so that's, that's really where I come from, from that perspective, uh, Frank. Hmm. No, it's a, uh, it's incredibly uh, nuanced, like all your experiences, right? Like you may have served, but like the, who you are coming in, who you are, within it and who you're coming out and what you do way after the fact obviously changes to the person, but there's still like this deep connection that you all share. Um, so thanks for sharing. Uh, Lynn, how about you? Um, for me, the journey of service uh, started a bit earlier. And I think uh, I, I find myself drawn and connected to Chris' story about how it was family that uh, planted the seed for service. Uh, for me, it was my mother. My mother has, was an incredibly my grandmother, so there's, you know, I grew up in a family of matriarchs. So my, my grandmother, uh, took care of everybody, you know, she had a small business in Vietnam, but, you know, took care of everyone. And then my mother, she was incredibly kind and generous woman. After the Vietnam War was over, we were, our family were very poor, very, very poor. Um, but no matter how poor we were, I think, I mean, I, I could remember a time that we were so, uh, hungry that I think I got fainted as a kid. Um, but no matter how bad it was, she has always managed to find something to share with a neighbor. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, and, and I found that to be something that was really, as this it was just for me, it was just like something as natural as air itself, right? Um, my dad was in home much during the wartime. And then after the war was over, he was incarcerated for another three years. So um, <clears throat> it, it, it was pretty rough. But I think uh, um, I think that that planted the seat for a definition of what empathy is for me. And that is, you know, that having a direct experience about something help you to understand and relate with other people's sufferings a lot more. And and that 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 uh, relatedness um, will move you toward action, um, and and um, and that that has been the case. And then um, my one of my one of my really really cool uncles was a paratrooper in the South Vietnamese Army, 
he was really a great guy. Um, when after, whenever you know he was single, he didn't have family, he didn't have kids. But so whenever he got off the field, he'd come home. First place to go is to see me, and he would take me out, and we would do all kinds of secret stuff that we would never tell our parent, my parents about. Um, <clears throat> he was the great dad uh, that I, you know, didn't have a good you know relationship with my dad, and so. He was really cool, and then he passed away uh, during a combat operation. And so I've always looked up to him as a father figure. I've always grown up wanted to be like him. Um, so when I came to the United States, when we came to the United States, uh, another and, then, and that was just like the micro, you know, reason. But and the macro reason, um, I thought of it as a life changing opportunity. It was like second chance at life, a second chance at being something that is bigger than myself. Um, you know, I have other siblings and so on and so forth, but, um, in my mind, you know, I've, you know, I, I thought that, um, for whatever right or wrong, whatever the politics of the situation at the time, hindsight is always 2020, but for me, it was, uh, 68,000 American best have given their lives for a place not known to them or, or very, you know, just like similar to Afghanistan and Iraq, right? Um, and uh, it needed to, and it, it, their sacrifices had to mean something. And whatever foreign policy that took place before, during, and after, I am definitely as a byproduct of that. Um, and I have this opportunity to be part of the history of a, of that chapter, and and connecting to back to the whole notions of what empathy looks like. Well, I can't say that I understand and I appreciate. The sacrifice of men and women in uniform and then not serve it it it's it's like to me and having having to be here in the united states is to me and the and the cost of those americans uh and the american people in general um have afforded me this up op- in my family this opportunity so to me it, it amounted to a blood debt there was no amount of taxation there was no amounts of job creation there was no amount of whatever the heck it is uh that was going to be equate to it until you pay your brotherly debt you pay that blood debt in full equal measure of devotion i mean it was i got to be willing to put my skin in the game as much as any one of them have had uh in decades before me so i signed up it just there was just like this really alignments of like personal and 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 a micro and, and macro reason as to why I joined the service. And so I signed up and, you know, uh, doesn't matter what the recruiter, I mean, everybody was like, Hey, watch out. You know, recruiters go, Hey, they're going to fool you. And I was, I'm like, I don't give a shit. I was like, all I wanted to make sure was to make sh- that, that, that I had that in the contract was infantry airborne training. And then whatever else of that was like, yeah. <clears throat> um, 1987 graduated from high school um joined and like uh you know basic training ait for infantry school and then after just you know walk over the hall field over to fort benning where jump school is at and uh um man july 3rd 1989 it was just like the happiest day of my freaking life man just the happiest day of my life dusty field Got my jump wings. That was just like the happiest day of my life. And I often equated that as like, I had my life. You know, that was the pinnacle. My my life purpose was mad. And every day since then, I have looked at it as I had my cake. And now every day is going to be just 
a different flavor of icing. Some are very surprised, very surprised icing on the cake, but they're nonetheless just another icing level on the cake. Um, and and I took that experience, and then eventually went back to school and made my dad happy. Uh, went back to get a college, and 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 could not think of being anything else other than being the service again. So I I got commissioned again, and um, <clears throat> I decided to do the foolish way is to become uh, you go through it and became you know through uh, commissioning through OCS, the uh, Officer Candidate School, and another basic training and got harassed and hazed. Um, and, uh, and 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 branched as the uh, military intelligence officer for the rest of my military career. Um, uh, it, it it was really great. I mean, it was like so transitioning out of the the service was definitely a tough thing. I think you can talk to any veterans and transitioning out of the service is it's definitely is a tough thing. I think it had to do with the fact that we were all ingrained in the culture of selfless service, right? The notion that you're part of a team. You're never going to be anything bigger and more important than the team that you're with whoever's on your left right and your six that's that those those people are the most important people in your lives um and 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 for me uh i i i struggle a lot leaving too because i lost my team i lost my i didn't have my team with me uh and the team concept and 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 the and the notions of in the service uh, that also uh, has uh, attracted me and continue to give me the whole yearning, the, the way to look for people outside of the service in, in the civilian environment is to look for for works that are meaningful in a way that that team oriented, that that is focusing on solution. Um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, the differences that we had, you know, it seemed very trivial about the personal differences that we had, whether it was our skin colors or our language, the, the accent that we speak or whatever the case may be, right? Um, but what matters, what works, we have, we have a challenge, we have a problem, everyone is focusing on solving the problem, there's acceptable risks that are involved, and I, and, 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 and that oftentimes because we love and we care for each other, so much that we're willing to give our lives to each other so much that it's oftentimes you're going to see people volunteer for hard assignments i mean that's that's the group or at least that's the culture of service in military that i was with you know that that we see something that was going to literally kill you and 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 platoons or company of men and women would raise their hands and say i'll go and it, it, it's it's literally unnatural to think of it that way, but because of our love for each other and our love for country was so much, it was so immense that uh, I, I still tear up until the day. I mean, I left in, you know, I, I left the service in 97. Every time I talked about that experience, it will be a well of, of emotion that's still coming up because, um, you know, Chris and Jesus have had brothers and sisters who left themselves out there and we left pieces of ourselves out there in the field and seeing some hard truths. And they, you know, again, their sacrifice has to mean something. And it had to make purpose of that and coming out of the service. And, and, and that means that, you know, I have purpose. Whatever it is, I need to create that purpose. So that purpose is the reason why I'm alive today and not those bastards you know um and and i better and there's some days that i that i truly measure up and other days that i didn't um and and it's something that's going to stay with me for the rest of my life it's not something that i wish upon everybody to have in order to have that purpose 
for life. But for me, it has been, uh, you know, clarity it brings a lot. It has brought a lot of clarity uh, and purpose to to what I do. Um, you know, eventually I got involved in a lot, and so I end up staying in public sector for a long time. Um, works in state, city. Uh, county government, federal government. My, in fact, uh, prior to coming to the mission continues uh, in a nonprofit sector, I stayed for another six and a half years working in a congressional office for a member of Congress locally. Uh, so the blood and the sweat and tears in terms of like activism and engaging and trying to do better in the community has always been uh, something that is both ingrained in from my family but also from a macro standpoint in terms of what this country has meant for me and have given so much to me that I have to give back in equal values. So that's, that's in short, my journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that you thought you said that uh, I think about my parents and the way they feel about like their uh, own involvement with uh, their own history, personal history with war is the Korean war. Right. So my parents were, um, my mom was very little, you know, maybe like three or four, I think, when the Korean War started. And my dad was a little bit older than her. But, um, you know, they both lost their moms in the war. They were both killed in bombings uh, from the north in Seoul. And um, the way, you know, like, I think there's interesting, like, in my parents' generation, the way they feel about America and, like, the way they feel about, like, you know, the 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 sacrifice kind of you were talking about, right? So, like, so many armed service members came to, to a place no one, probably most of them, did not know existed or knew anything about the culture or history of that country, but um, came to serve and, and really, you know, prevented the country from being taken over, right, completely from communist rule. And so, like, that generation and, like, my generation that came over and immigrated, we are, like... In a weird way, we're like way more conservative than my like counterparts, my own age back in Seoul, because they didn't, it's kind of like we were like kind of like frozen in time with like our politics, my parents' politics and th- thinking, and then transported to another country. And we just kept thinking that way. While if you stayed in Seoul and you saw Seoul modernize and you saw a lot of the authoritarian kind of like military rule that came after that before like they actually went to true democracy, um, you know, it, it was, it's fascinating how they think about America and how like maybe young people think about America now in Korea in a different way. Cause like they're thinking about the politics and like the global pressures and the like, colonialism, all this stuff. But there is something about like, you know, my parents, like I, you know, at the end of it, I still know like who I am and being able to be in this country and being alive. And that's a lot to do with like military, you know, intervention from the United States in Korea. Right. Like that's just like the, that's mm-hmm. truth. Right, you can you can politicize it however you want, but that's literally the, the truth, and so that's something I think about a yeah, lot as well. Really, and so thank yeah, yeah no, it's, please it's really ahead. challenging to sort of like see uh, see th- in, like incredible destructive things happen all around the world, and then being the product or being influenced or being or having an emotional part to it, and then having to reconcile like where do I fit in that with this. You know, uh, you you saying that, Frank, just makes me think of, you know, it's what going on almost 20, 21 years that we've been in Afghanistan. And what's the end goal? What was the purpose? What do we how do we feel that I grew up so much in Afghanistan? I, I was in Afghanistan in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. I was a frequent flyer. I saw 
I saw bases grow or get bombed or destroyed or completely wiped off a face of a mountain, off of a hill, off of a valley. And the, the, the wrestling with the is, is what I am doing helping or hurting more than it is helping or hurting. And is that even our intent? So how, how do I reconcile the fact that I, I am, you know, I get to, I get, you know, I get to help other people and I get to save people, but, but the, the institution of the military, what is its purpose and what is it doing? And then having to reconcile that, I mean, it's, it's, it's so challenging to say like, well, I definitely benefited from this, though I would also say that maybe I would be in a different place. I could ease, I could easily have been in a diff, slightly different alternate universe where Jesus wasn't able to get the care that he needed to be a more or less well-adjusted adult afterwards. Right. I see those parallels in a lot of my friends who pass away or who make reckless choices or who make the cho- uh, other choices to, to, to end things. And that's, it's hard to reconcile all of the things and say, well, I kind of benefited from this. And yeah, how do I, we how are do I, yeah, how, ones, yeah. And, yeah. And how do I, how do I wrestle with that privilege that comes at such a cost to others? And I think that goes back to, to service. Um, I didn't, I didn't find, I didn't feel good about, um, like a lot of my experiences in the military until I was able to say like, okay, well, now like part of who I am is to be able to give back. So uh, constantly volunteering, constantly helping other people and being a resource for other veterans to be able to, they themselves uh, navigate their own life experience and navigate that privilege. And also the hard reality of what it means to be in a, in a war and also in an institution that is structurally, you know, uh, homophobic or transphobic, right? Especially now, um, uh, you know, being gay wasn't legal when I was in the, in my entire service, it, it became legal to be gay after I left service. Uh, and, how do how do I reconcile that culture that has placed its values on me in a very prime part of my life with who do I want to be? How do I reconcile that with the greater community? And it's it's all about being community forward. It's all about talking to people and making connections and helping other veterans navigate through their own way, I think has been um intrinsic well, to that healing. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think that's true for me was that i mean i i wasn't i wasn't a, uh, under a new illusion that the army was all nice and rosy it was just going well they, they give they give you camouflage and a weapons and hide behind something for a reason you know i mean it's like you know whatever you shoot will shoot back at you i mean that's that's a guarantee um you know we're uh, the military as an institution is a blunt instrument of nation state you know communication and it's it's a political tool, a blunt political tool. No, no more, no less. Um, I, um, you know, and 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 what I got out of it was that you know what, um, there was just like things to which you. It's not academic, right? It's not academic. You you take you take these things. You go to 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 university, a chair in a lecturing hall in a university, and 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 we got a lot of folks who who. 
who talks as if, oh, we have to do this, and how dare us do this, and how dare they do that, and we should, you know, there's a lot of should. There's a lot of should in 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 the chair uh, at academies, and 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 I'm not saying you know any particular way. way. There was a lot of should with a bunch of people who had never experienced you know one way or the other. Um, I I I I didn't have any illusion of that. I mean, it was like you know, I'm I'm ethnically Vietnamese, right? So the time I joined Vietnam was still considered to be a U.S. threat. It has not material. It has not normalized until until the late '90s, and so you know when I joined. That paradox occurred. That paradox was real. Like you know, there was a question among fellow Vietnamese Americans who say, "What if the government is? What if the United States is going to go and have another second go around um, in Vietnam? Will you be okay and comfortable with killing Vietnamese?" You know, I mean, that was that was like that was like an actual that was a real thing at the time, um, and there was a struggle that I had to go through with that too, um, and. Um, you know, so that that was that was like, uh, yeah. But um, you know what? I, I you know I reconciled with that decision, and that's why I joined. But it was uh, it was not no kidding, man. It, it was a tough one. And our world is such a paradox, and our existing is such a paradox. Like war destroyed, but the byproduct of that it that somehow it also brought people together. Somehow that level of destruction i don't mean that philosophically it's not for for me it was real i mean for me it's still real and i know for many of my brothers uh, jesus and, and chris here it brought us together it doesn't matter how what kind of a span time is irrelevant we had that one common experience that common experience binds us together you know and it's like so you know we could bunch of throw acronyms around talk about this experience that experience you know and then Chris would be like, yes, that's exactly what happened to me. And then Jesus would be like, yes, that's exactly what happened to me. We're all like having a roaring good time. And it's like, well, something never changed, you know. We'll never have enough bullets. We'll always eat bad food. Camping will always sucks, you know. And it was just like, there's some truth to this universe, you know, that uh, that 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 bonsai is together in some big time. So it's such a paradox. It is, man. I, if I can jump in, like what, what you guys are talking about is – bringing up um, so much. Um, I, I can't help but think back to the beautiful starry nights of Afghanistan, thinking about all of this and like, why the hell am I here? Why the hell are my men here? You know, what are we doing here? Particularly in Afghanistan at the time, I was there in uh, 09 and 10. And um, I, I can't help but think that like a, a great deal of being service oriented comes from uh, surviving. And I mean, there were, there were a number of times where it should have been me and the gift of being able to continue to be here and, and feeling like I, like an additional layer of owing the people that didn't come back in particular um, but also to, you know, this gentleman's point, like the, the, the service and sacrifice of those that came before us. And I, I think that extends beyond the military mm-hmm. of, of just carrying that weight, carrying that necessary burden for humanity forward and using our gift of life to do whatever the hell we can to ensure that other people's lives aren't lost in vain. 
Um, and right. I, I think that was a hard truth pill for me to swallow in Afghanistan was, was the, when you really break it down and you put aside the politics and all the, the ways we've been socialized to believe different things and, and patriotism, rah, rah, like I love this country enough to put my life on the line for it. But I also recognize that in Afghanistan, really, that our, our country isn't getting a whole heck of a lot out, out of our, our wars right now. Um, our soft community kicked the shit out of Al Qaeda within, um, <laughs> the first year and a half, two years. And we're still there. We're still there in Afghanistan. And, and, you know, it's, it's cost thousands of our brothers and sisters lives and trillions of dollars of taxpayer money. And, um, it's a hard pill to swallow. Like in, in to y'all's point about, um, it being a political tool. It is. And I think part of the reason why I want to get politically involved after the military is because people are making these decisions to send our, our best and brightest to war. And there better be a damn good reason why we're going to war. Exactly. Absolutely. If, if we are willing to, to send our children to potentially die and spend God knows how many trillions of dollars on war that could be reinvested home like it better be it better be for a damn good reason um and i I think there's an there's an element of wanting to ensure that that's the case and holding our elected officials accountable to that uh to ensure that the people that are willing to put their lives on the line for our country and others uh both here in the united states and in the world uh to to help liberate other folks that are in genuine need of support uh because they're facing tyrannical governments and whatnot like we we need to get our stuff together as a, as a country and we need to make sure that when we are, we are making such a significant choice as to go to war that it's founded in, in the right things and is truly just. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, I don't think we've, we've been there, um, in the consistent ways that we really ought to have been. And that's, that's a hard freaking pill to swallow as, as a, as someone that has, has served and comes from a, a family of service. And, um, I think it's, it's the fire that burns to just get it right. Like we, we owe it to our service members. We owe it to our fellow Americans and the rest of the world to ensure that the United States of America is showing up when it matters and is, is not showing up, uh, in, in really unfortunate ways. Yeah. 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 To Chris points. I mean, I mean, and, and it's not so much of getting it right, but struggle with it. Right. I mean, you know, the, the, the decision of going to combat, the decision of committing, you know, blood, American bloods or anybody bloods for that matter, um, should be a struggle, should be a effing struggle. Like everybody who has any take into any part of that thing should lose a lot of sleep over it because we certainly have, you know, a lot of sleep to execute that damn decision. Um, you know, we see, I mean, I think about, I, every day I think about those brothers and younger brothers and sisters of mine who are out in the front line right now. They are doing it as a leap of faith, doing a kick-ass job, trying to get uh, alive and come home, all because we were just buying time. The rest of the country waking up thinking that air will still be clean, water will still be there, cable better be there, phone got to work, um... They wake up arguing about which shoes, thinking about 
you know, again, which color of shoes to go where with what and what tie color to go and how to coordinate their, 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 their wardrobes to go to school to work. Like, that's a whole level of privilege. That's fine, Dandy. I mean, do that. Fine. Continue to have those things. But, you know, just pause for a day, for a moment in your day and, and beginning to struggle. If you added an age or, you know, for adults to at, you know, times to vote and tends to be civically engaged is to pause and to think about your your decision engage as a as a citizen yeah. because there's a bunch of us who are just out there taking a leap of faith trading their lives so that the rest of the country can have that space and time you know yeah. and 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 everybody's thinking that this stuff is just going to be here forever it is not it was traded by those the sacrifices of those who have come before us and and there is not it is not a guarantee i mean if afghanistan has shown anything if iraq has shown anything if syria has shown anything and any other thing it's like nothing is a guarantee you know it's 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 a sacrifice and like those decisions need to be struggled with struggle with it doesn't have to, you don't have to be right all the time, but you need to struggle with it and communicate that you have struggled with it to uncertain terms that you have goddamn struggled with it. And then when you, when you're still unclear and when it's still, you know, even if, you know, the, the, the lever is like leaning toward action and taking arm actions and committed to arm actions, then we'll do our job, right? I mean, it's like we were so well trained that we're going to execute this thing. We're going to see how this play out, but. But if we don't see in our civilians leader the level of struggle, you know, then it makes our work a lot more harder to go into the fight. And I, I wish that none for my brothers and sisters right now. And so the part of the struggle, part of the burden, part of the responsibility is for me um, uh, is to engage with my fellow citizens right now so that they struggle too. That I keep on reminding them, making them uncomfortable as hell to it what it is that they need to struggle with because uh because that's what we're facing with yeah. and that's what it means to honor the, the the troops or to to thank people for for their service it's it's not it's not a hollow gesture or a five or ten percent discount at the local you know breakfast joint it's it's about um being able to acknowledge the 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 literal commitment of what it of, of what that what it means to be uh, to have a military like ours and it's yeah i don't think in that people need to lose people or lose someone close to be able to empathize and understand what the cho what the choices of others are making right i certainly mm -hmm. don't i don't wish that on it no. i'm you know as a parent i'm grateful that my son is incredibly privileged and i hope that he understands the lesson without experiencing the 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 hard reality you know, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to say a, yeah. a quick, a quick little sidebar. Uh, so, um, I was supposed to get married, uh, you know, yesterday, right. That didn't work out. And so instead, um, my son and I and a friend went on a five day backpacking trip in the Olympics just to spend some time out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I prepared all my stuff. I prepared all my son's stuff, right. He's got all the stuff that, 
that I couldn't even imagine, right? He's got ultralight trail running shoes that are like top tier for adults. And this kid, this nine-year-old is rocking nearly $200 like boots, right? And he's got all this stuff. Did you bring and donut? I, so I brought him hot, hot apple cider so that he could have a warm drink, right? And one day... I um I decided that I was going to make myself some coffee in the afternoon because I wanted to, I wanted a nice tasty drink and he's like dad make me a cider please and I was like well if you if I make you a cider you won't have one on the last day of the trip and he's like dad you're so inconsiderate and and it, and I just couldn't like it took me aback and I thought oh you oh my goodness how do I how do I walk through this how do I help you understand what it took to bring you here and then, but not necessarily force you through all of the trauma that that requires or the heartache that that requires. Um, I, I ended up packing so well for him, but so poorly for myself that I had no clean underwear and one clean sock. That's what I had as a change of clothes for a six day trip. That's, that's rough. That's rough, but he doesn't need to experience that. He doesn't need to know that. Um, and so, you know, going back to, to, to belonging and what it means to, to educate people and demystify the veteran experience, you don't need to know all of the nitty gritty, ugly, gory details, uh, or how gross things are in the field or the kinds of sleep or, uh, things that keep you up at night. But we got, there is a way to, uh, part of service and continued service is helping people understand without experiencing the trauma and to be able to say, Oh, I get it. Now these are the kinds of things that we should look at for elected officials for policy as it relates to the veteran experience. So that even if you don't know what it means to be a veteran, you can continue to be an ally in more meaningful and less hollow ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you both, I know we're kind of going off, all over the place right now, but um, <laughs> you 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 it's both good. mentioned something I think that is really profound, uh, and and touched on it in different ways. In the the heart of service, I believe honestly is centered in love. And it may sound corny, but when I'm thinking about the times that I've seen truly the best in humanity, particularly in a combat situation or within our community, it's centered in folks having genuine love for their fellow human beings, their fellow service members, their families. Um, I mean, it pushes you to, to be willing to put your life on the line and give it for the people around you. And I think that that is honestly the spirit of service. And, and to your point, uh, Jesus, like, you don't have to know the nitty gritty details. Like if you want to boil it down, it comes down to that. Like caring enough about other people, even if, if it's your own family, if it's if it's well beyond that, if it's a combination thereof, um, to want to contribute to building a world where our kids can grow up in privilege and that they're working to appreciate the things that they have, but that we don't have to live in a, in a, in a nation or world where we have unnecessary suffering because of selfishness and greed and, and, and other things, but that we are willing to fight together for one another and not against each other, uh, for something better for, for all of us. And like, I, that, that has become so clear as, as a dad of four wonderful kiddos now, like 
I, I can't help but just recognize the unfortunate truth that history repeats itself and war breeds war, violence breeds violence. And, you know, what, what wars that we're involved with right now are going to lead to future wars that my kids are going to have to deploy to? And for what? And for what? Um, so trying to find a way to break the wheel uh, of this perpetual cycle of having to go to war and have, you know, our, our nation's resources and people devoted to, to such a thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of our greatest feelings of humanity, like war. And if we can prevent it at all costs, then we will have achieved something truly great as, uh, as a species, as humanity is, as partners in this shared existence. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's good to connect with you all because this is a good reminder of of those uh, those nights just kind of pondering the mysteries of <laughs> our existence and and the whys behind everything going on in our world right now. So appreciate you. You know, something uh, that y'all are talking about in terms of like people like civilians don't need to know the nitty gritty to understand what services. And Chris, I love the way you broke it down in terms of like service is really an act of love, right? And love for those that you're serving with, love for those who you're serving for, right? Um, love for those who came before you. Um, something that I was involved in for six years is an AmeriCorps program called City Year, where young people uh, give a year of their life um, or more or two years to um, service, right? And the founders of City Year were these two like Harvard Law School guys, right? And they were like, they loved the idea of like the civilian corps. They loved the idea of like, you know, Peace Corps, the, the idea of like, they, their, their mission or they, their belief was that everyone in this country should serve, you know, at least a year, preferably two. And if it's not military, that's why they had this idea of creating city year, which is a precursor to AmeriCorps itself. And when I think President Clinton was running for president, they asked both Republican and Democratic uh, nominees for the presidency to come and talk to them about this idea they have around like, service and like city year and like the idea of like maybe potentially AmeriCorps, right? But even without knowing what it was called then. And the only person that came was um, Clinton. And he actually, in his first year, he started AmeriCorps. Like one of our founders went with him and a couple other uh, folks and they created AmeriCorps uh, at that point. Um, and this idea of like, you know, I have friends that work in like the service industry, right? And they, they have an idea that like everyone should work in the service industry because they would, they would actually appreciate service like when you go to restaurants and like hospitality and how people take care of you and so there is this idea like I, in korea where i grew up like men are there's still military uh, duty like men have to serve right and so this idea of like you know service there is also something that's still because obviously there's actually like a very yeah. real threat on their border right with compulsory North korea. service over so there kind of makes sense yeah. compulsory service yeah well, thanks everyone for, um, sharing these, uh, experiences and ideas around service. And, you know, these are just really wonderful, really rich, really nuanced conversations, I think. And also, you know, I think it's a lot for civilians to get a glimpse into, you know, the inner workings and thoughts and experiences that are so varied and different and nuanced from you all. And so I really appreciate you being open with your thoughts and, and, and experiences. Uh, the last part of the podcast is for you all to really pitch something you're working on because I know you're all still enmeshed in service and you have projects that you're working on. So 
please take a moment to share something you're working on that, you know, we can all pitch in in or the audience can also reach out to. Why don't we start with Chris? Uh, tell us about what you're, what are you working on? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, kind of expand on that. I, I'll be honest, the, the, the thing I'm working on right now that I'd like to highlight is very much in flight and being built in flight. Um, but it's centered in the county's equity and social justice efforts um, to both address racism as a public health crisis and acknowledging that, uh, you know, systemic racism is quite literally everywhere in our country. And we all have a duty to dismantle those, you know, systemic racism and, and replace it with something better. And that's going to take a lot of work uh, as individuals and collectively in addressing uh, the ways that systemic racism shows up within our own organizations uh, and, and doing what we can with the agency that we have uh, to first acknowledge it. To really see it, you know, the inequitable outcomes that come from our respective institutions, um, and, and to challenge ourselves in a, in a, in a place of service, um, to build a better home, to build a better United States of America, to live up to our, um, our professed values and, uh, declarations. And I think the, the project that really comes to mind right now is, is working with a truly remarkable, uh, team of, of folks throughout the county, uh, to really take an honest and, and hard look, like those hard truth pills we were talking about earlier, uh, at what we own uh, as King County, uh, as a public institution, uh, and, and the things that we have perpetuated uh, in some cases, knowingly and unknowingly, uh, to contribute to systemic racism in our region and country. And uh, I, I think the ask here is that as we as a nation become more aware of just how prevalent systemic racism is and always has been, that we really challenge ourselves to not get centered in blame, shame, and guilt, uh, but into empathy, into action, into understanding and education and really endeavoring as individuals to check how we show up, especially as men. I mean, we, we're, we're a panel of men and, you know, how does our patriarchy show up in our institutions and in our lives and our relationships? Um, how have we internalized the the narratives of our family members, of our heritage, of our country, and how does that show up? And I think what I'm really hoping to see in the coming years, really, uh, whether that's here at home in Martin Luther King County or in the United States of America, is a genuine commitment in solidarity with one another as fellow Americans to stand together for one another to acknowledge the privilege that we have in general as being Americans and the lives that we've been granted and the, you know, the opportunities we've been granted by those who, who came before us and those that are currently serving to, to improve that. Um, and to really, really challenge ourselves to, to disrupt the status quo because the status quo has pumped out these inequities and will continue to do so until we are honest <laughs> about our failings. We can't fix something if we don't acknowledge it. And um, 
what I what I hope to see here at home is greater political participation. People showing up, voting, using that right that has been fought for, defended, and provided by so many that came before us and even now. And it's so important, I think now more than ever, uh, for folks to show up for one another and to move away from the power structure that we have in this place and to get into a place of shared power where we recognize that we, the people, have a great deal of power. And when we band together, we can accomplish anything. But we need we need to fight for justice. We need to fight for each other. We need to fight for true liberty, our co-liberation. Uh, and that's going to be a, that's going to be a lot of work. Uh, and it's going to happen in multiple spaces, but every single person in this community and in this country has a role to play. We're all here for a reason. Our families have, have sacrificed a lot to get us here. And it's time for us as fellow Americans to serve one another. And to, to really push ourselves, um, to do our part to dismantle systemic racism in the places that we can. Uh, and uh, there will be more, more definitive details that come from the work happening in King County, but we, we're going to need, we're going to need help. We're going to need public support to really hold our leaders accountable at all levels and ourselves accountable. Mm-hmm. I like what you said because, you know, a lot of the, the impacts on people happen from the systems and institutions that exist. But, you know, I spent a little bit of time in uh, Seattle and uh, the city of Seattle government. And I know from my time there, like policies, changing policies and institutions is kind of like playing defense. Like you can make things more fair. You could um, legislate more uh, protection and safety, but you can't play offense in the sense that you can't change people's views on like seeing other people as whole selves or whole people or, you know, caring for one another. You know, you can't legislate love, right? And so you have to do that internally, your own work, and you have to do that interpersonally with those around you that you love, your, your coworkers, your family members, your relatives, your, the people that you, you see day to day. Um, because you have to care about those folks and know that, you know, standing in solidarity with others makes sense. And you also have to work on the systems institutions, right, to play more defense, but you have to play offense too. And so I really appreciate that. It's kind of like a multi-tiered approach that we all have to take and we all have responsibility yeah. for. It. It's so, funny you mention yeah. that, Frank. Like, <laughs> we're trying to define what the heck we're trying to do. And one of the things we're landing on is institutionalizing love. Because the mm-hmm. most dangerous thing that I'm seeing right now in our country is what I've seen downrange is the dehumanizing of one another to justify violence against other people and to no longer see our fellow Americans as fellow Americans. Uh, and it, it is frankly very dangerous. And I think one of the most amazing ways that we can avoid that is just connecting with one another on a very basic human level and understanding that we are, we are far more similar than we are different. All generally mm-hmm. want the same damn thing out of the life that we've been gifted, which is to live in peace mm-hmm. and prosperity and liberty and, um, to have that opportunity for a better life for our, our own family. So I appreciate you calling it out because yeah, we, we have to find a way. Like it's never been done. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for us to, right. to do that. And it's, if, if it's been done, it's been done in really small circles, right? Not like institutionally or nationally. Um, and that's the whole premise of this podcast is to p- have people share these stories, see the humanity in others, connect in a way that's much more less transactional, I guess, than the way we normally connect in our worlds. And so. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that, Chris. 
appreciate it. Um, Jesus, what's uh, something that you are yeah, working on? It's pretty hard to follow Chris after uh, that great uh, just sort of outro. Um, you know, f- for me, uh, as I continue to navigate who I want to be when I grow up and I look at my own master's thesis, you know, it's pretty clear that it's all about changing institutional systems that give us the biggest bang for our buck. Um, there's just no way around it. Small, small incremental change is going to take us forever. It's going to take us lifetimes. And so, you know, what I, uh, I I had been uh, extremely involved uh, polit- in a lot of political uh, community work and a lot of grassroots organizing. And, you know, in the lead up to the next few months, I'll be doing that again. Um, and uh, not only in just raw knocking on doors and making phone calls, but really connecting people and, and demystifying what it means to be a veteran, to continue have, uh, building people into shared experience, uh, know know how to to ask questions, giving allowing people to experience curiosity in a safe environment uh, with you know obviously some guardrails. Uh, so, I guess what I, what I'm working on is it's less about what am I doing and more of an invitation to see how can I support existing efforts, much like Chris's, uh, how can I support demystifying what it means to be a veteran, demystifying what it means to be a, a young, younger veteran, right? There's a lot of different perceptions about the different generations of, of veterans, uh, and how we can continue to understand one another and be able to develop that empathy and to be able to support one another uh, and be allies in each other, whether that is, you know, a, a, a allied uh, for um, on the, on the you know basis of different skin colors, different gender identities, different uh, gender uh, and be able to use our respective uh, life experience to continue to see who we are and and that like to chris's point that we have a lot more in common than we have apart if if at the end of the day you know we can make sure that people have the opportunity to find someone that they care about and love and build a life together that's 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 already hard enough in 2020 that's what we all want for our friends our family our children our uh for one another is just to be able to be successful to be happy to be loved and to live a fruitful life so i, I you know i open it up i'm how can i how can i continue to be of service hmm. uh, my mom before she passed away the whenever we talked the two questions she would always ask me first are is did you eat and did you eat something healthy and then she would ask me, uh, are you dating anyone and why aren't you married yet? And so this idea of like being healthy and fed and then finding someone to, you know, be with and partner with in life was, I would, I, I joked with my mom, I would say, mom, if my head was literally on fire, you would still ask me if I ate and then being satisfied with the answer, then you would question, why is my head on fire? And what did you do wrong? <laughs> and so she laughed when I said that, but she didn't correct yeah. me. So I still believe that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, um, yeah, Lynn, how about you? Uh, carry, carry the day. Wow. What, are you, what are you working on? Uh, no, man. I, you know, I, I, your mom was right. Yeah, just food is a direct route to your heart. I mean, it's just like if you you can't, you, how 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 mm-hmm. how, you, how are you gonna express love other than just good food? I mean, it's just it's there's it's fundamental. It's right there, man. It's like that's why that's why I'm trying to 
That's why I'm trying to show love to my family by cooking. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, and, and, and we're talking about like multi-level chess game in terms of how to demonstrate love and solidarity from the micro, from the whatever it is to start with the cell first and how to, I, I often think and, and want to, you know, express like um, individual, like individual leadership matters, like self-leadership matters. Right, you when whatever system you're talking, what institution you're talking, it's begin with the one, um, and the one is how you show up, and it it's 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 when 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 you lead with compassion, when you lead with the intention, with the right intention and with clarity, people will come to you, um, and and will co-lead this thing together. I mean, and and I often define leadership in a sense like. With what uh, Lao Tzu, uh, 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 a wise uh, ancient philosopher, said, was that leadership is when it was all said and done, the people would have said, "We've done it together." So whoever started it, or whatever the case may be, became obsolete, became nothing but a part of the crowd, and that we all would have, you know, pat each other in the back and said, "Who?" Who let this damn thing? And we all looked at each other and said, "You did." We all we all pointed to each other rather than ourselves, right? So it's it become it, it then it becomes a, a a a a joint a mesh, right? Chris put that together. It's be, it's inseparable that we begin to see that we're the product of of a civic engaged community of a a strong and healthy and vibrant community is an inseparable ecosystem. Right, and then and that and in that Absolutely. ecosystem, the biggest baddest thing that walks is just as equal in worth as the little critter that crawl the ground. I mean, it's like absence of that, we the ecosystem will fail. I, um, I, I, you know, so how I show up matters, and I challenge myself. For me, I challenge myself on a daily basis around that issue and make sure that. You know, um, my privilege of being checked. A uh, couple of things going on, crystallize it in an operational way is that the mission continues. Everybody can just look up at uh, missioncontinues.org. Uh, locally, we, you know, in this COVID environment, we're still thinking about people, we're still thinking about serving the community. Uh, we have a focus on food insecurity. So, all of our operations throughout the country is around food insecurity. We have a dynamic platoon leader uh, structure around military lingo. Uh, we have two dynamic platoon leaders in Seattle, Shalene uh, Duncan. Uh, she's she's an amazing human being. She uh, runs a business and she, she has family and kids and she's still giving her time um, um, to the community in a large way. So she's running, uh, she's, she focused out uh, her operations in the International District Chinatown at the Danny Wu Garden. So we show up there and we help that garden uh, cultivating and growing stuff uh, for our elders um, out there, and then um, you know, in, in in Rainier Beach, and you know, here's the other part of like hard to serve and but so resilient community uh, down in Southeast Seattle. Jacob uh, uh, Kobolowski, who is still an active duty Air Force recruiter. Jacob has been a wonderful human being. Jacob is leading an effort to uh, engage in a learning garden um, in Rainy Beach, uh, right next to the community center. So it's it's been, 
you know, folks can come out and volunteer and join us uh, so that we can integrate and learn what it means to demystify the what it means to be a veteran and to also is to connect and, and, and build that ecosystem uh, together. I also uh, engage in, from a civic engagement standpoint, I, I'm also involved with um, a national organization called New Politics Leadership um, Academy. And it is, um, uh, it is uh, uh, an effort to engage and to get more veterans to elected office. It's a, it's a nonpartisan uh, activity, it's an organization, and they're trying to, trying to do that. It's to, you know, um, there's, there's, out of the idea that veterans, we have this common bond, we have, or service service uh, um, uh, uh, veterans have, have this shared bond, whether you're with City Year or AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps or out of, the, out of the, those who wore the uniforms, we all have similar story and similar experience. And those things bond us together. And we need more solution-oriented, compassion-oriented, uh, positive intent-oriented folks who have these shared experience together and, and lead in governance. You know, we oftentimes you know, sort of like been very apolitical in terms of like, oh, we're just here to give, 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 right? And 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 leave the decision-making process, leave the policy decision-making process for those who are otherwise. Uh, well, but like we have that experience. We need to be, with that experience come responsibility, right? It's, it's to, it's to, it's to in, infuse those experience back into public service in the electoral uh, process. We have an uh, we have an opportunity and responsibility to translate and communicate those experience, those hard earned, hard fought experience that show up in our skins, that are scars in our body and in our in our soul, to communicate that to the rest of the American public, so that they can come and join and 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 make those uh, policies that are that are um, anchor in love, that are anchor in service above self um it's instilling that values to the larger public at large uh that we see in our firefighters that we see in our men and women in uniform we see in our nurses we see in our doctors all those things are great we have great institution we have those that are doing the same similar things but but um for those that are us who are service then that's where we need to be and so um uh, answer the call was the first steps, and and new politics uh, leadership academy is 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 the other passion of mine. Um, I recently got accidentally elected to as a local precinct committee officer, <coughs> um, uh, and uh, so I'm I will be a ground pounder in the next couple of months, and you know probably would see a, you know some of you and others out there to make sure that. Um, those with the privilege to vote, vote. And when they vote, they need to struggle. When they struggle with the votes, they will demand their elected leader to struggle with their vote. And and that's how accountability leads up, you know, that we lead up. We, we, will, we will no longer defer expertise to those in, in those in power or those who, and what that is, is that we have given them power to represent us. Right. They 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 mm -hmm. it is us who empower them, you know, those elected leaders. Right. They're not they're not they're not that they, they don't have power. Right. In, 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 in of itself, those titles don't mean jack, but it means that they're temporarily occupying that office on our behalf. So it's incumbent upon us to act like boss. 
the the citizens have mm-hmm. to act like a boss, and a boss need to be smart and have to learn how to ask good questions, and expect outcomes. And if not, we can and should bond together because of our expertise and because of our own passion for each other and caring for each other. Is to find someone else to represent us better, um, to align mm-hmm. with those values of love and 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 shared. Duties and shared responsibilities and service above self, and expect that in every single one of our elected leaders, regardless of what party affiliation. It does, to me, it's like it's just a you know the differences in party affiliation is the how. Mm-hmm. The discord we have in our country right now is around the why. Why they serve, and there's such a wide difference in is in their mind is that the, 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 we question each other intent, we question each other like. Uh, uh, um, Intention in terms of how why they come to serve, that difference is to me is the biggest problem. And once we overcome the why, as we don't that we can trust each other and build that you know that we know that you have come with the right intention, then it's the how that are different. We can solve the how. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my my wife's the my smart 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 wife said. You know, and it's like she said, well. You know, when I would come with a problem and it's stressing the hell out of me, and she's like, "What's stressing you?" And I have this problem with her. And she's like, "Well, honey, if the problem is money, it's not the problem. If the problem can be solved with money, it's no longer a problem. It's just a matter of how to get the resources to solve the problem. It's not the problem, you know." And I was like, oh, "Damn, you're right. It's not." <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, and, and and I think if we do that, I think we're great. So those are the two things that I'm operationally is very uh, engaged in. So there's the commission continues and and new politics leadership academy, something to engage people locally and continue to do service, but using that platform of service and cultivate and bring people of like mind and like activities together, and then steer them toward you know for veterans to say, hey, there's something else beyond this. You know, if you're frustrating that you're building small gardens and they just still not doing anything else is because there's a bigger issue and it's called policy and you have to go upstream and if you're afraid there are other veterans like you who have gone upstream before and they can reach down and help and then we can help build a network to help each other up that way so uh that's what i'm doing nice there's a i just kind of want to close with the idea that You know, I was listening to this podcast uh, from the belonging, the Othering and Belonging Institute by uh, John A. Powell, uh, who's someone that we listen to and think about a lot in terms of the work we do around <clears throat> civic commons and we belong here. And he was talking about like the idea of freedom um, and how the U.S. in this country, we kind of like take the, the idea of individual freedom and like place it in a much higher pedestal than like like societal freedom, right? And what happens when your individual freedom actually harms the people around you? How, what does that look like? And I think the the people that do AmeriCorps, the people that do Peace Corps, the people that serve in our armed forces, like they are the ones who really understand that like this isn't about individual needs or rights, right? Like you need to take care of yourself and work on yourself, but it's really about like the 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 whole, like the whole body and like the whole collective and the idea that you know no one person is stronger than like a group of people together, like in mind and spirit. And so this idea of like how do you inspire a shared vision amongst people? Um, the bad idea is to actually start at these like places, like these like micro uh, positions where people disagree, but expanding out, like you're all saying, like, what are the interests? What are the common interests that we hold in terms of like Jesus was saying around like, you know, having healthy, prosperous, 
uh, access to good food and like education and well-being for you and your loved ones. Like I think everyone agrees to that. Everyone wants that for them and for those around them. Um, and so how do we, how do we do that? Kind of like Lynn was saying is the, is the hard work, right? And sometimes we are, we don't act like bosses, like you're saying, like we act like we're waiting for someone to hand down something to us to tell us what to do. And we need to go and realize that like we control some of that destiny, um, or actually most of that destiny. And so we just have to talk to one another and listen to one another and, you know, see one another as true selves and true people and, you know, appreciate that. And not meaning you have to agree on everything, right? Because we won't. But how do you know that, like, the collective matter, if there are disagreements, is stronger than individuals just trying to do their own thing? So with that being said, I just really want to thank uh, my guests uh, for joining us on this podcast. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your your service, all three of you, uh, in, you know, doing what you've done for this country and also the service you continue afterwards and even now and in, into the future for those that you love around you, for the communities that you serve and the, the world and the country we live in. So thanks so much. So thank you for everyone for uh, listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please subscribe if you uh, like what you're hearing. Uh, and as always, uh, for now, uh, stay safe and remember that we belong here. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.